Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Tuesday afternoon slash evening. All of us out here in the uh, West Coast region, we've got from the Seattle area, still licking his wounds from University of Washington's loss to Michigan on yeah. Monday night is the machine, Kevin Pelt. You know, glad to, not like happy to have been there because they had a legit shot to win it, but that's not going to tarnish an amazing season for UW. Absolutely. And you know, Obviously, I'm an Ohio State fan. I am a realist, and I also recognize uh, greatness. And no matter what anybody wants to say, Michigan ran an extremely impressive gauntlet against the best teams, and they won all those games fair and square. No matter what anybody wants to say, they won it playing old-fashioned football, and you got to respect it, and they earned that championship. So, And as far as any alleged recruiting violations, there is no rules in recruiting anymore. So I don't care about that. And any alleged stuff that they had on tape or whatever, none of it matters because the games they had to win, they won them all and won them all relatively comfortably. Well, not comfortably, but they, they won them fair and square. Maybe you don't think so with the holding calls, uh, Pelton, but uh, we won't get into that. We'll talk about the NBA. Joining us from Oakland, where he's just crossed the bay from seeing the Warriors in San Francisco is Anscapes. Mark J. Spears, our Hall of Famer. What's going on, Spears? And, uh, you know, LSU had the Heisman Trophy winner again. Questionable it's... decision after seeing Penix. He was say. awful yesterday. Well, but he was pretty damn good in the semifinal. Hey, man, it's about what you did in the regular season. <laughs> there there yeah. were, like, so many UW fans saying after the semifinal, like, well, don't they hold, hold the voting after the playoffs? Well, they had it's it like... after the championship game. I don't, yeah, I don't think Penix was winning it. Anyway. That doesn't maybe mean he's not nice. He, he had a phenomenal season, so don't let me yeah. take it from that. Yeah. But Heisman Trophy was in, in Baton Rouge. And we got bags, and we'll spend them. If y'all want to come to LSU, we'll pay you. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> same, same goes for Ohio State, by the way. <laughs> um, all right, welcome to the Big Ten, Pelton. Spears, you spent today at Warriors practice where Draymond Green spoke to the media for the first time since his suspension ended. I'm just going to hand the floor over to you and tell us what he said and what that situation was like there. Really, really interesting. Uh, he held court for about 30 minutes and uh, just was talking about how, you know, much uh, speaking to uh, somebody about his mental health was certainly helpful for him. And the one thing I thought was pretty intriguing was he really took 10 days off, didn't touch a ball. That's not to say that he didn't watch basketball, but he stayed away from it. And when in his meetings that they began talking about returning to the court again, he kind of like, he said he kind of had a jolt, like took a step back as if he's like, oh man, I got to like, I, I wonder if that retirement stuff was was real because, it, you know, for him to say that, uh, you know, when he they mentioned him coming back, that he wasn't excited about it initially, that, that kind of shows, you know, how stuff was stressing him. And he now, though, uh, seems to be in a good place. He said he's not messing with the referees anymore. Yeah. Which... <laughs> I think Steve Kerr asked him not to mess with the referees anymore. Yeah, he, he said that he... Definitely, you know, it's going to be continue to be a habitual line stepper, but he was <laughs> going to control himself. And, uh, I mean, the proof is seeing it, right? But he, he definitely was contrite, definitely wasn't pointing the fingers. He sounds like he's ready to get back, but he said it was bigger than him. It's up to Steve Kerr, teammates, the, the, the staff. But he also expressed guilt for, like, what has happened to this team, struggles during the departure that he could have helped with. 
And so I think if he could sound like if he could play, he would play tomorrow or on Wednesday against the Pelicans. How soon? When's the right date? They're about to go on the road. Do you want to bring them back on the road or do you want to bring them back in a more sympathetic home crowd? I think it's probably the latter. So my guess is he'll he'll probably come back after this road trip. But uh, this that, that definitely seem to be just a less heavy Draymond Green. Like he 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 does seem like there's been a a lift taken off of him, and I'm I'm really curious to see what it's like when he plays his first game and and what happens when you know he gets pushed a little bit how how he responds. But he certainly said all the right things today. Yeah. So look. I don't know what's in Draymond's heart and what's in his head. I can't I can't even try. I don't know what's going on in his life off the court. There's a few things that I do know, and one of them is is that when it comes to basketball, Draymond's not a victim. So yeah. this situation he brought on himself. And, you know, some of the tenor of his podcast made it sound like he had suffered something that like, you know, you know, made him sound like a victim a little bit. And he's not. That's number one. Number two, he has a four-year, $100 million contract. So yeah. um, that doesn't mean he couldn't have considered retirement. Absolutely, he could have considered retirement. But as you know, and I know, he has too many things on the line to do that. Money, right. TNT I mean, job, like just, you know. I think it was he, just emotion, man. I think he he just no, went I through a range of emotions. I, and, res I respect it. But like he comes out yesterday, announces, you know, his return and the the debut of his season of his podcast and then and it comes with an announcement of a contract extension for his podcast with volume you know like it kind of undercuts the whole i was thinking about walking away uh when uh, i have my podcast come back with my announcement uh and you know he's uh he's very savvy he's one of the savviest players ever when it comes to media so words don't matter to me here it's about actions and what i do think he said that was interesting he's like i've done enough damage to this team yeah. And he has. There's a number of reasons why the Warriors in 12th, but he's probably the biggest, Spears. No question. He's probably the biggest. And he's a, um, he's a great player, great defensive player, great leader. IQ gone, no Chris Paul. I mean, and they when they have some close losses like they've had over the last couple of weeks, perhaps he could have been a difference in those games. For sure. And Pelton, their defense has been 13 games. Their defense has really diminished i think fallen into the bottom 10 without draymond i mean and don't, don't about, forget gary payton a second too well right I mean, he came back for two games and then went right back right. out with hamstring but you know defensively the warriors are a shell of themselves i think steve kerr has oh, articulated yeah. how frustrated he is with the way the game's being called now but still they missed the guy defensively called yeah first i want to note there is a clutch playbook for using the uh retirement possibility to to win the media cycle. So Draymond is following that one. But I, I don't know if he's the biggest reason they're in, in 12th. It's another I, guy who had $100 million left on his contract. True. When he, you know, when he he's claimed, the, claimed he was going to retire. I don't know if he's the biggest reason they're in 12th. He's the most preventable reason they're in 12th. Because like some of the other structural flaws without some dramatic, you know, moves and maybe a, a trade are not necessarily going to get better or, you know, without Andrew Wiggins rediscovering the way that he played when they won the championship and even into last season are not getting better. But what Draymond is going to do is, you know, make a lot of these lineups more workable for Steve Kerr because you mentioned the defensive issues. Kavon Looney has not been the same player this season that he was the last couple of years where he really developed into this reliable piece of what was last season, the best starting lineup in the NBA. 
They, you know, have played a lot of Trace Jackson Davis at center, and he's given them good minutes. Dario Saric at center, but that's, you know, not going to provide the sort of defensive impact. And Draymond is presumably going to come back and play a lot of center, I think, for this team. That opens up, you know, minutes at the four for Jonathan Kaminga, who you guys discussed a lot on the podcast uh, on Monday, his comments about Steve Kerr and, you know, the the need to find a role for him uh, going forward. And I, I don't know... Like they've been okay without Gary Payton the second because of the fact that Brandon Pajemski needs to play a lot, even if he's not as good defensively. He's a more complete offensive player than GP2 is. You know, same maybe can be said for Moses Moody, who finally got an opportunity the other night with Chris Paul also out of the lineup. You know, I don't think that, again, Draymond is going to fix everything, but his ability to protect the rim to switch defensively, the IQ you mentioned at the offensive end of the court, it's just going to make a lot of these other role players, I think, fit better into lineups than they have been the last few weeks. Spears, it seems to me that the Warriors are having sort of a a, a challenge that's as old as time. Steve Kerr, there's a reason why he wants to play the guys who've been around for a long time, the guys he's won championships with, and like Looney being one of them. You know, he he Looney is is a you know, he doesn't get grouped in with them, but he's, you know, bona fide part of the dynasty. I think he's got three, three of the four rings he was been a part of. Yeah. And, um, you know, he wants to play Looney. He wants to play, you know, more of the veterans than he does want to play Kuminga, certainly Moses Moody. And, you know, it took him a while to play Pajemski. And obviously, you know, Joe Lake of the owner has, you know, he's been on the record of talking about the two timelines and he was one of the driving forces in drafting Kuminga. And you know, I thought it was interesting. Monty Poole from Baria Sports Group was writing about the night that Kerr didn't play Kuminga the last 18 minutes of the game, that Joe Lacob came to the press conference, came to the Steve Kerr press conference, which is very unusual. If, you know, if, if an owner yeah. wants to hear from a coach, he goes to the coach's office or summons him to his office. Or, or, and he could watch it on TV because it's live on television locally. Right. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to assume what was in Joe Lacob's yeah. said, but that was interesting. But, you know, Kerr has been known to maybe not favor the younger players as much. And this is, again, this is something that happens in the NBA all the time, especially for a coach who's had successful players. They tend to lean towards the more um, experienced players that they have more of a history and trust with. Uh, I'm not saying that there's a that there's a match that makes sense for the Warriors where they would be in fifth if they weren't if they were playing differently. But I do think this is a particularly difficult team to mix and match. And Kerr is you know, but under some heat and some scrutiny, trying to figure that out, even within the own, with the, even within the organization. So there's even a little bit of uncertainty about how he's going to play when Draymond comes back Yeah, because of the way they've played when he's out. And they've had some success. They didn't do great, but they've had some success. I don't know which direction the Warriors are going to go. Um, I have been one of these guys who's like, do not bury this team. I would rather be the one of the last people off the boat than one of the first. Um, But I do acknowledge that they're facing, you know, a crossroads about which way they're going to play and how this season's going to play out. And Draymond's a big part of that. Yeah. And and also with Draymond, um, it's uncertain when he'll be back. Right. So when is he going to help him? And I don't even know if he knows. Uh, But I I think they're primed for making a, a big trade. We didn't mention Wiggins, and I don't know if Pelton has any Wiggins stats handy, uh, but he's a mastermind, so be able to probably do this as I talk. He's had a really disappointing season. Uh, it's you know whatever was going on respectfully last year. I don't know if it's hanging on with him now, 
but he's he's had a really really disappointing season and he's been coming off the bench and just doesn't have the same spark uh, offensively defensively you still see some things but I wonder if the Warriors patience is thin now with Wiggins um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're willing to trade him what kind of value does he have uh, would Masai Ujiri want another Toronto player on this roster is that attractive to him I do think there's some still some good basketball left in Andrew Wiggins. I just just don't understand, you know, where it is or why it's not there. Where did it go? But I, I mean, I, I think the Warriors have to acquire a, a dominant number two score, and there are guys available. There is Pascal Siakam. There is, you know, DeRozan and 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 obviously Levine and. You know, Keldon Johnson and, you know, you, you hear different names of different guys like there are players available, you know, marketing, if that's true, I, uh, you know, but like. I'd I think be surprised world- if, you know, the Jazz of um, as we do this podcast, you know, the Jazz have, had won nine of 12 and they went to this Eastern Conference road trip yeah. and they they lost in Boston, but then they won in Philly and won in Milwaukee. They're doing really well. They had a really tough 10 games here. I was very I confused think- by them. So it's good to see them playing well again. I do think the Jazz have indicated to some folks that they will be willing to sell off some players, especially the ones at the end of their contract. I would be very surprised if they would be willing to they trade marketing. Trade marketing. Yeah. It, it'd um, also be very teams. amusing if those two teams made a win-now trade for Golden State with Utah now being ahead of the Warriors in the standings. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, that, yeah. yeah, I don't. I think Utah's eyes are open that they're not. This isn't going to be their year. But like, you know, Kelly Olenek is a player who... You know, you they need about somebody them. bigger, Brian. Bigger than Olenek? They need. They need some. They. I really feel like they need a number two. Oh, you need. They. They need a, a bit. Like you don't mean taller. You mean like a bigger name. They need a score. They need a dominant score. Like I. I really like Siakam. You know, if if the Raptors don't have anything great, I know. I know when it came to Fred VanVleet last year, and Masai gets beat up about not making a trade, but I don't think he felt like there was really anything. I think he may have had one offer for Fred from what I hear. And, but then, you know, you, you can't, it's tough to lose somebody for nothing two years in a row. Right. So I, I wonder what's going to be there for Siakam in the end. But like, if you're the Warriors and you got Steph Curry in this window, like Draymond basically said today, the Steph Curry's window isn't closing, but it's, it's, you can hear it. It's, it's like the, the latch on it's getting pushed. Right. <laughs> And to me, I I might be crazy, but if, if Kaminga could get you Siakam and you could add Chris Paul, my apologies, Chris's salary to it, or maybe you get him for Wiggins, I think the Warriors need to do something like that. They they can't survive in the rest of the Steve Kerr, I mean uh Stephen Curry era with another without another number two score. There's just too much put on Steph, too much weight put on him. You see him kind of fatigue at the end of games. They need another horse to ride besides Stephen Curry. So to me, it has to be somebody that's an all-star caliber player that the Warriors sign, I mean, try to acquire. And and I think they desperately need to do that. And they have the young players and they have an expiring contract. And, you know, you have Wiggins and like, I think they could make something get done for one of these guys. And that they desperately need to, because if not, I mean, I don't, I don't really, even with Draymond coming back, I don't see it improving dramatically. 
Well, I remember having this having this thought process when LeBron was, you know, near the end in Cleveland. Um, and I was saying, you know, when LeBron leaves, you know, it ended up being in free agency, but, you know, if he retired or whatever, you're not getting another one. Like, that's it. Like, I know that nobody wants, like, you know, a five-year rebuild or whatever, but, like, he's a non-renewable resource. That's it. He's gone. Once he's gone, he's gone, especially in a place like Cleveland. Yeah. And that's what I'd say about the Warriors, which is, you know, Steph is here. The Warriors were in the wilderness for decades before Steph got De- there. Repeat that. Decades. The people in the Bay forget this. <laughs> um, they may head to the wilderness for decades again after he leaves. So, exactly. Um, you know, if, you're, if your point is you got to maximize the Steph window, like that's a reasonable point. The, the question I would have, you know, there's two big things with that whenever you talk about a, a trading for a guy in the last year of his contract like Siakam is. Number one, you have to do the whole thing about whether the guy would want to stay there or not. Yeah. And um, there's been some reporting dating back to the summer about Siakam's willingness to – there's only certain places he wants to go. And so if you're not going to be able to keep the guy, what you're going to offer – is is a factor you know if you're offering for a rental you know how it goes though it's it's the wink wink yes of course uh you don't make the trade unless he's it's very clear that og and anobi expressed an interest that he would stay in in new york and that's why that trade got done the other thing though pelton is that you know one of the reasons why the the warriors traded for chris paul was to dump jordan Poole's salary and you know chris paul doesn't just act as the backup point guard but he also acts as a as a you know, salary move and he exits an expiring contract. And so I don't know if the Warriors with a $400 million payroll, I don't know if they're in position to continue to pay at that level by taking a guy whose contract is expiring and trading him for a guy who's got, you know, potentially you're going to have to sign for a huge number, maybe even more money than Chris Paul's making, probably more money than Chris Paul's making. With Wiggins, like if, it, if, it's, off- if it's Wiggins, does it make it easier? Yes, Much because easier. you're getting off his, you're getting off his salary. Yeah. But you know, you trade Wiggins for Siakam, you know, you're trading out some talent there. I will say this, Pelton, the um, you know, the trade that the Raptors made for Ananobi, they acquired players that can help them right now. There was no, you know, there's a second round pick in it, but that was a, a trade to, that was a restructure trade. That wasn't a rebuild trade. You know, a trade that had Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga in it, that would be a restructure trade. So if what Spears is, you know, I have no information at all about. Oh that. man, this is this is me being fantasy GM. Right. I just, but it's not, I just think they not, need to do something. Yeah. It's not off the wall, Pelton. It's not no. off the wall. It's just about whether whether they would consider that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. If I were Toronto, I would certainly want Chris Paul back in the deal. You mentioned Draymond Green having four years, hundred million. Andrew Wiggins' contract is slightly bigger than that. He's just entering the first year of that extension, which you know he signed it coming off of that terrific championship run in 21 and you thought what a great deal for the warriors and now the way that he's performed so far in the first year of it it's looking like it may be tough for wiggins to play his way into the value and you know at the start of the season i think there was optimism is spurs spears alluded to that uh uh you know he was just out of shape and over time that would come back by this point in the season like that that can't be the explanation like you've played yeah he hasn't been the same player since he left two and a half you know yeah, that's just the truth. He has been the same player, um, and it's and it's like randomly across the board. Like his his steal rate is the lowest of his career. His assist rate is way down. It's it's not just the shooting. It's a whole bunch of different things, and it it's particularly worrisome. So if I were Toronto, my the package I would want is, you know, I I mean I'd have to look at the exact salary numbers here, but Chris Paul, 
Kaminga and Moody. To me, Moody is actually the more valuable of the Warriors, you know, to uh, youngish players. Uh, Pajemski would be my number one guy I would target, but I don't think the Warriors are giving him up in a deal for Siakam. But Moody has played terrifically this season. He just hasn't been able to get on the court because of the fact yeah. that Pajemski isn't so good. And, you know, obviously they're committed to Clay Thompson as shooting guard. But that's the interesting variable is if you do make this trade for Siakam, what's Clay's next contract going to look like? Because if it's, you know, what he's thinking is a salary, I, I think the Warriors have to walk away at that point. You just can't justify paying that much if you've added. I got to believe that they'll come to terms. I got to believe that. I mean, I guess. I shouldn't assume anything, but I have to believe that the two sides can find middle ground. And you know what was interesting about when people make mention of well, Clay was offered two forty-eight. I wonder if it wasn't so much the money, but maybe the years, right? Like Draymond got four years, right? Right. Yeah. Clay got offered two. And Draymond, all four years guaranteed for Draymond. Yeah. And so maybe that might have been more the sticking point for Clay, like. I can't get four, like Draymond got four, you know, two, and I'm out, you know. So, but again, uh, and 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 Pelton's on to something, man. Moody's been playing really good basketball. That game in Sacramento, when it went in overtime, and and you know, it cost the Warriors an opportunity to stay in the in season tournament. I thought he was sensational, and you know, Steve made a decision to take him out, and and this kid has been super professional. There, there's been no bitch in there. I don't know how. I don't know why he's been able to, how he's been able to bite his tongue in a way that Kaminga hasn't. But whoever gets him, if he if he is uh, dealt somewhere, you, you got a plug-and-play player that's ready to go. And he's an extremely great kid, professional kid. You were, speaking of uh, Toronto and Sacramento, you were just there at their game in Sac the other day, uh, Spears. And R.J. Barrett had one of the games of his career. He had 37 or 38 or something. Uh, and you wrote against a piece the Warriors, about, yeah. Yeah, you, oh, it was against the Warriors, not Sacramento, yeah. sorry. You uh, wrote a piece about him. So you have a little bit of insight to where he's at and where the Raptors are at. Um, you know, Barrett has shown some flashes this season. He had a really good start shooting the ball. And obviously that was a, that was a big game. And the Raptors are showing a lot of faith in him. And, you know, one of the reasons why you may not want Wiggins is your small forward is Barrett going. Yeah. Forward, right. And that's what that's what the Raptors uh, media guys, Doug, Doug and company and Grange, they were like, but moaning about that. I'm like, why would they take another forward? And I'm like, mm, I don't know. But uh another thing is Masai really loved quickly. I thought that yeah. was a, a brilliant get for him. And quickly's had a really didn't he have a pretty big game, like game two or three? Mm-hmm. Um to get those two young guys in an odd way, this seems to be one of those trades that are helping both teams. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to Bill Duffy and he did say initially there was a shock, like RJ came up from a, a nap and there was this shock that, wow. Bill really Duffy is trade. RJ's uh, RJ sorry, agent. His yeah. agent. Yeah. Um, and then he was like really stunned at first that he got traded. But when the dust settled, he's like, oh man, I'm going home. And this is a kid who used to be in that locker room. And, and, and Brian and Kevin, he made me feel old because he was talking about, man, I used to love a young DeRozan. <laughs> I was like, my favorite player was a young DeRozan. I'm like, DeRozan's still young to me. <laughs> and he likes you, ex- you were expecting Vince and, Carter. 
Like, like no Vince Carter, no Chris Bosh, no Marcus Camby, nothing like no David Stoudemire. Right, David. I was like, I was like, he was born in 2000. So, like, those the guys I just mentioned didn't even exist to him. Uh, but he's, like, excited about going to Osmo's Mediterranean Restaurant now and Tim Hortons, which we need Tim Hortons in the, in the West Coast, Hidden Coffee Gym, right? Uh, but he's... I think he's really excited to be back. And I think it's great for not only Toronto, but for Canada to have, I think the first time they've had, he's like the eighth guy from Toronto to wear a Raptors uniform. But this is the first like guy that's kind of a star, right? That could have a big game. They could, they could have a lot of big games and, and sell a lot of jerseys. And um, I, th I think he's going to make a lot of endorsement money in Canada as well. Uh, I know some of the other players have and, you know, and he, I think he's going to clean up there. So I, I think ultimately it was a really, really great move for Masai. Do they need two Toronto guys with Wiggins? Like, how do you play Wiggins? Do you go small? You know, Pelton right, might be right. Uh, a Chris Paul, Moody, uh, Kaminga trade might be the better move for him. Well, they, I think Indiana is a team that also, I think, would get in there on, on, on Wiggins. Siakam. Siakam. Well, Siakam, yeah. I think. So... But you know, you're again, you're worried a little bit about there about whether he'd resign. Although, looking at the future of Indiana, I would recommend it if they're willing to pay. So, and then I know Masai, from what I can gather, I don't think he he just showed you he's not scared to make a trade. It's not like he's waiting for the buzzer to make a trade, right? I think so most I think if there was a good lose. move yeah, right think, now, yeah, I, I don't think he's doing any gamemanship. I think if there was a good move for Siakam right now, he would do it. Yeah, I think uh, in the past that's been the case with Masai, especially. Yeah. But I think uh, after they made this move, I think there is a belief in the league that he he will. There's a good chance that Siakam gets traded. I think the bar is going to be high. I don't think they're dumping him. I mean, they haven't ruled out. I mean, they're kind of in this little nether region between those awful teams in the East and the play-in teams. Like they're they're not going to be bad enough to go all the way down with like Charlotte or yeah. Washington. I mean, I'd, but, I'd say they're in with the play-in teams. They're a half game back at Brooklyn, one back at Chicago. So Right. Well, Brooklyn has come backwards. They've come racing back recently. So um, I'm not saying they should chase that, but that is something to pay attention to. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right. The other big development that we had since we last talked was uh, John Morant needing surgery on a torn labrum, and he'd be out for the year. Only played nine games. A loss glad I ran season. my Marcus Smart story. <laughs> I was sitting on it, too. I'm glad I ran that last week. Man, um, it was surprising. He, like, hurt his shoulder in practice, and I think they got a precautionary MRI, and that's why you get it. So when they found out it was torn, I don't think anybody thought it was torn. I don't think he thought it was torn. It's possible that it was a pre-existing thing that he didn't know. And this injury exacerbated it. Only he knows how his, how his shoulder was feeling before. I would just say, like, it's very unfortunate and sort of follows the way this season's gone for um, Memphis. Not having Steven Adams, not having Brandon Clark, having other injuries. And so it's kind of a lost year. I would just say that for the last three years now, you look, Memphis has finished twice, uh, finished second twice. The last two years, they were second in the West. So they were two seed back-to-back -back years. And then this year, three-year run from a team in a small market. 
and they have one playoff series victory to show for all that. And and a lot of trash talking to show for it too. Right. It's just very disappointing yeah. because yeah. teams don't get eight year windows typically. Okay. Every now and then yeah. happens. And then you know the the good side of it is is that their their core players are young. Jaws young, Desmond Bain is young, Jaron Jackson's, you know, just maybe entering his prime. And they looked good not, last year into all that jaw situation. Man, man. they were awesome. like I'm I'm real curious what they could have been. We we'll never know, but and I mean I don't want to go so far as last year was lost, but you know, they said we're fine in the West for a reason. They would have been wrong. I think Denver's winning no matter what. But yeah. They could have um, been in the West Finals with them if things Yeah. Um, we're right. That was, you know, very possible. So you never know. It's a it's not it's not great. I mean, I, I know Woj was on TV saying today, you know, the bright side of this is they can get a you know, they can have like a little gap year here because they're not making the playoffs. I mean, I wouldn't advise I mean, like I would to tell Brandon Clark, I mean, keep working out, but don't worry about coming back and all that stuff. But um I mean in this um, NBA draft, like top five is interesting. Like I think they'll get a it's not the best draft in the world. <laughs> but I say that again. I mean, yeah. I mean, Gavoni. Look, uh, executive. There's an executive that I who's been around a long time, and he always says to me, "You don't have to nail the draft. You have to nail your pick," which is a which is a way of saying, you know, there's a good player everywhere. You just got to nail your pick. But the Grizz. I mean, you know, you can if you want to feel better about yourself as a Grizzlies fan, you can say, "Okay, we're going to keep our lottery pick, and we'll and have a shot at getting somebody," but they're going to be in the sort of the middle lottery, be, you know, at least in odds. I mean, obviously they could get lucky, but they're not getting down there to San Antonio. Uh, you don't Detroit, think so? There's a lot of basketball left. Detroit. I, I don't know Carlos. how many to- teams though, those te- wins those teams have left. What, what 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 is their record right now? They've got, I think, 19, 16 wins. Yeah, 13. 13 wins? Yeah. League wise, they got the um, sixth they're sixth right now. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. how many of those teams that are in the top? Yeah, five? You, you ain't catching Detroit. Yeah. Well, San Antonio, Washington are right there, buddy. You don't think San Antonio is going to get better? Not they're seven. playing Victor twenty four minutes a game. Yeah. So. And it's not like yeah. Memphis is going to have nothing there. I mean, they part of the reason that they started as poorly as they did is because it wasn't just Jaw and Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark, all of whom are now out for the season. It was also Luke Kennard missing time and Marcus Smart and all that. No, some of those guys will probably get shut down, you know, at some point we'd imagine. But I, I think they'll win enough that I don't think they're going to get into that like bottom three or four. Right, so I'm just saying, but like, with the lottery odds being what they are, if you're sixth going into the lottery, like you have a realistic chance at getting the number one pick. That's yeah, very. Plausible. I mean, and that would be big, and especially if I mean they wouldn't have to keep it; they could trade it too potentially. Yeah. Spears, I mean, I don't, you know, it just happened. I think they're just figuring out. I haven't heard anything actionable. I'd be, I mean, I think they'd listen if somebody came for Kennard. I'd be surprised if they wanted to trade Marcus Smart. That's a guy that they brought yeah. in for a reason. I don't like the idea that they're going to. You know, I, I wonder, does he want to be traded? Well, that's a different conversation. You know, now that you see what it is, I mean, I it, it seemed like he was really excited about playing with Ja from oh, talking yeah. to him and helping Ja along. But, you know, he he's, he's not long in the tooth, but the tooth is growing. <laughs> right? <laughs> the window is, is is rattling and the tooth yeah. is growing. And 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 but the thing is if if you're Memphis right now, you got you should listen, right? You certainly should listen if somebody wants him. I mean, the challenge for them is going to be 
you know, you're probably not recouping the two first round picks that you gave up for him yeah. at this point. I mean, I just think they're going to try to start next year with Steven Adams back, with Ja back, with Brandon Clark back. Yeah. I mean, if they can get a deal that they like, but I don't think that they're like, you know. Yeah. What what Ron Holland or Alex Sar knew to the to the Memphis. No, I don't. The one thing they could look at is yeah, like they're going to the luxury tax next year. That's why Kennard for them functions isn't expiring. He's got his a team option for 24, 25 that they're you know probably gonna have to decline to manage that tax bill. So yeah, yeah somewhat you send him somewhere else, it's possible they could even pick that up right. because a lot you know, of teams have the same issues. Yeah. He's uh, he's you, just his knee is problematic though. You're worried about his knee. If I trade Marcus Smart for somebody who makes 10 million next year in an expiring 10 million dollar contract and some sort of a draft pick, like that that could be the kind of deal that might split the bat, split the uh, baby a little bit there. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. A little bit ago, Spears, you mentioned whether the Warriors would consider to do something at the deadline. I want to talk real quick about the Cavs. The Cavs have won seven of their last 10 games since uh, Darius Garland and Evan Mobley went out. They've had a very interesting midseason little makeover. Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell missed some of those games too. He had an illness. He missed four games. And the Cavs, I will just say this before I talk about them, they have gotten a little bit fat on some easy games they played the last three games for example they played the wizards twice in the spurs having said that jared allen is putting up all-star numbers he's averaging like 22 and 16 putting up usa basketball he needs to be on olympic team numbers that's a great point not only that he's averaging six assists a game because what's happening is is that the Cavs, without evan mobley in have been playing stretch fours uh, namely Dean Wade and George Niang, neither of guys who are going to be in the All-Star game themselves. But what's happened is the Cavs have gone from a bottom five or six offense. The last 10 games, they've been, I believe, number four or five overall offense in the league. They've gone from being in the bottom six or seven in number of three-pointers made per game and um, I think the bottom 10 in three-pointers attempted per game to number one in the last 10 games coming into tonight and Tuesday night, Cavs lead the league in three-pointers attempted. And their assist ratio, now Pelton, you can educate me about whether I'm looking at the, the, the best stat, but their assist ratio has gone from bottom half of the league to top five in the league over these last 10 games because functionally what is happening is they've taken Mobley out, who's a not a floor spacer, and replace him with floor spacers. And they've taken out Garland, who's more of a dribbler. Not that he's a ball hog, but he's a dribbler. And they've replaced him with spot-up shooters more often, particularly Sam Merrill, who's come out of the G League and is hitting four or five threes a night for the Cavs. And next thing you know, their offense goes flying up. Their passing goes flying up. Their scoring goes flying up. Their three-point shooting attempts go flying up. And they look like a completely different team. And Donovan's playing well, but they don't need Donovan to score 38 points to, to win. And all of a sudden, Jared Allen's numbers explode. And so while this is an interesting little story, as they sort of, you know, and they, their next game is Thursday in Paris. They're playing the Nets. That's another, I think the Nets have lost seven of eight or eight of nine or something like that. And um, who knows what's going to happen in Paris, but they're, you know, and that's not a, that's not a tough game. They've got uh, three games with the Bucks coming up, I think, before the end of the month or before they've started right there at the start of February. 
their schedule is going to tough and they are 14 and three against teams with losing records. So they're getting a little bit, they're feasting on um, the, uh, the weaker teams. But I think the big thing here, Pelton is what does this tell you about the Cavs and what they should consider about their roster now that they're flourishing once they're not playing two non-shooting bigs and they're not playing two, you know, heavy ball dominant guards, even if those guys who are out are really good players. Yeah, I mean, I think it validates everything that you and the Tims in particular talked about with this team early in the season and how, you know, as awesome a defensive player as Evan Mobley is, his inability to develop three-point range has held them back offensively. You know, that it's a testament to the value of spacing because it makes life so much easier for Jared Allen as a rule man in the pick and roll. Uh, you know, not quite six assists per game, but uh, four assists over the last 11 and five assists per game, I think, since Mitchell's been back. So, okay, like, maybe, maybe the number went down a little bit before the time I checked, but it's yeah, still the, four or five assists for the Cavs centers. You know, he ain't Jokic. Exactly. No, it's it's shocking. And, you know, 19.4 points per game over the last 11. The Sam Merrill piece of it was something that I didn't realize until I looked this up. I didn't think like they're 14th man. (laughs) Well, like Craig Porter Jr. has kind of nationally, I think, gotten a lot of the shine as the guy who's been stepping up for them. And and he's been hugely important, giving them another ball handler because uh, we saw Ricky Rubio's retirement become official earlier or last week, along with his buyout from the Cavs. But, you know, it's not just that they have Darius Garland out. It's not just that Ricky Rubio hasn't played this season. Also, Ty Jerome, who's the guy they thought was going to step in while Rubio was out of the lineup, has missed like 30 some games yeah, with an ankle sprain ankle injury that hasn't healed. And I don't, I don't know what his prognosis is. He's basically been out the whole year. So yeah, so Porter has been hugely important in terms of ball handling, but Merrill. Yeah. In the last 11 games, again, this stretch where Garland has been out of the lineup, he is top 10 in the NBA in threes per game playing 20 minutes a game off the bench. And it's not hugely fluky three-point accuracy he's hitting 44 percent he's a 41 percent career shooter he shot 43 percent when he was down in the g league like this is what this guy does the volume is what's been amazing and the team that it kind of reminds me of i would say in a lot of ways is what miami has done over stretches of the last few years not last year's regular season when for whatever reason they couldn't make any threes but there's some there's sort of a cumulative effect or you know there's a there's a, a bonus it's exponential when you put Max Struess out there who's firing threes at a high rate you know before and after the stretch and put Merrill out there with him and Niang and Wade like all of those guys are amplifying each other and really supercharging this Cleveland offense i mean i there's obviously like a ceiling on how good you can be if you're playing those guys as much as they are right now. And, you know, I don't know how well that works in the playoffs necessarily, but it's like, you know, when they had, when Miami has had Duncan Robinson and, and Strews out there flying around shooting threes and that sort of thing. And, and has survived a lot of injuries that way. So look, even with the schedule, which they face the easiest set of opponents in the league, that 11 games, they're still the sixth best team in the East over that stretch. When you adjust for that, and when Mitchell first went down, or when Garland and Mobley first went down, I think a lot of us jumped to the idea of a Donovan Mitchell trade because the idea was this season was going to be lost for Cleveland. They weren't going to have that opportunity at home court in the first round or a deep playoff run that we thought was possible coming into the season. Well, guess what? Right now, we have a West-style logjam in the East where the Cavs are one of five teams 
tied for fourth place in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, if they can sustain anything like this when they get Mobley and Garland back, then, you know, they, they very much are in the running for home court in the first round once again. So the key thing Spears is what do you do? Do you just help those guys get healthy and bring them back? I mean, or would you entertain something? Well, first of all, I don't know what gum you chewing on, but it, is that Hubba Bubba or something? <laughs> what, are you, what are you chewing oh, on, my, man? I, am, I, got... am, I dist- am I distracting you? I'm sorry. Are you oh, gonna... man, I like he been killing it's, this gum. This gum it might be, be good. This is the same gum Ryan Gosling had during the Golden Globes the other night. I mean, you got this look like, man, this cinnamon I got is outstanding. <laughs> like, I don't know what you got, but go ahead. Um, shout out to JB Bickerstaff, too. Absolutely. Uh, he was embattled earlier, and he's just coached. He's just kept coaching. Yeah. And you know what? I think the guys that are sitting, the guys that have been away, and you watch this, and you watch how they're succeeding without you. And if you're JB, you hope that they come back and they adjust to what they're seeing and the success that the team is having and not make it about you, but but make it about uh, continuing what this team is doing. And I, I hope such is the case. Yeah, they, uh, they have a... Uh... They're not going to be back till after the deadline. So I think what's most likely to happen is that the Cavs hold firm and just see how they get reintegrated. But it is a, a lot of food for thought going forward. There's a lot of teams. I was saying a lot, but there, if Jared Allen was made available, they would get oh robust goodness. offers. Robust I'm a offers. fan, man. I like that dude. Yeah, I told I mean, you that before. Bontemps makes fun of me because I talk about how important he is because like every time he goes out, the Cavs lose, and so Bontemps is very important. There's more to more to this game than scoring, right? I don't think they can trade Jared Allen, but no. at the same time, how can you consider trading Mobley? But at the same time, how can you look at this and and say bring them back together? I don't, I don't know how you do it, and uh, maybe yeah. that's not a, that's not a midseason decision, but yeah, it's something that they got. I think that's more of off season, right? Probably. Like, let's see Probably. how this goes. Let's see if they figure it out. Probably, you know. but. You're saying we'll figure it out with the Donovan Mitchell thing hanging out there. Yeah. You know, like at the end of the season, Donovan's got to want to extend. Otherwise, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it works itself out. Maybe you see how Donovan feels about it. And if he doesn't want to extend, then you look to retrofit. But I will say something interesting that they did with Rubio. So Rubio obviously retired and really put out a upsetting statement where he made a reference to something that happened over the summer. He didn't spell it out, but it sounds like he went to a very, very dark place. So you feel bad about that. And, but he was owed $7 million for the rest of this season, the balance of this season and the next season. And um, something that Bobby Marks was telling me, you know, um, obviously if you get hurt in the NBA, you're, and you have a guaranteed contract, like if you blow out your knee, you're protected. You can't not get paid um, if you have an injured knee. Um, but Ricky, Ricky didn't show up to camp. You know, he didn't report to work. Well, Ricky, in his contract, not everybody has this, but Ricky has mental health coverage in his contract. So if he was really? unable to play due to mental health, he still gets paid and has gotten paid. Now, obviously, one like the Cavs were trying to hold money from him. Hmm. Having said that, the Cavs were $700,000 from the tax line. They had $3.5 million left on their mid-level exception. It's not that they wouldn't spend into the tax, but ideally in today's day and age, if you don't have to go into the tax, you don't. And um, so this deal, Ricky took half the money. He took up, he took basically half what was left, took like 3.5 or 3.6. Now the Cavs have like three million or three and a half million dollars left 
under the tax, plus they have $3 million, $3.5 million in mid-level exception, which they can sign Craig Porter, uh, who's on a two-way contract. They can upgrade him and give him a multi-year contract if they want. They could also sign maybe a buyout guy or whatever. So yeah. um, that was interesting. And they, got, and they got two roster spots, so they can promote Porter now and still have a roster spot right. for a But buyout. they haven't promoted Porter yet. But um, but um, that was an interesting little move that could, could be interesting later on with a team that's uh, in contention. Okay, thank you guys for um, coming on through Collective. Thank you, Spears, for rushing over across the Bay Bridge and uh, talking to us about Draymond. That's thank it. You. We're gone? We're gone, buddy. <laughs> you got, got another topic? Else? Oh, man, I was enjoying myself. <laughs> We always leave them, like James Brown said, always leave them hey. wanting more, Spears. Hey, yeah. There's got to be more James Brown play in NBA arenas. We, yeah, I agree. I, I, I would say, Wendy, next live show, bring a cape. <laughs> Wendy, I'll tell you this real quick. I was, this is a true story. I was uh, one, of a D, one of a few DJs at a 60th birthday party. Recently? Michael Eves was there, so I have okay. proof. Okay. And I was the second to last DJ tonight. And I had to remember. How many DJs remember, are there? There was four. Okay. And I had to remember. It was a lesson to be learned because the crowd was a sixty. It was a sixty-year-old's birthday party, right? And the last song I played was James Brown. Papa, don't take no mess. No, the big payback. Oh, right. Classic song. Classics. And I was like amazed, like how excited they got over this song. And then I had to remember they're in the 60s. It's like James a 60s Brown is underrated. I said it. James Brown is underrated. What's your DJ name? Still working on it. <laughs> DJ still working on it. Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of like uh, question mark. Just the symbol, like Prince just, or like. Just, just the symbol, baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what the hell is he doing? Thank you to DJ Question Mark. Thank you to DJ Machine. <laughs> Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you for listening. The Hoop Collective will back. We'll be back talking to you with the Tim Blair this week. <laughs>